This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On this week's and finally, here come the Euros <laughs> podcast. We're featuring the group of death because the tournament's not big enough for all of them. We're considering the dark horses, including a Turkish delight and a giddy up a ding dong East European style. And could Denmark be the long shot that kicks the Euros bucket again? And, oh, did I mention COVID? Well, look away now if you don't want it to rain on the Spanish plane. So here come the Euros! I mean, I mean Dotton, you are going to have to explain what the Diddy Up a Ding Dong or whatever you said. It's, <laughs> it's a great song. Giddy Up. Giddy up a ding dong, giddy up, All right, fair giddy enough. up a ding dong. But you have to sound like some sort of uh, Eastern European stag dude that I have not been on. <laughs> I prefer the nod to the harder we come, actually. But having said that, 
we're going to start with this group. I know I can't be calling it the group of death. It's, it's one, a group of life. It's, yeah, it's one of one of my least favourite tournament because cliches. You, you, again, it's you the ask, group of amazing football. And it's all, well, it might not be that, but it might also be. <laughs> oh, yeah. You ask, is the tournament not big enough for all? Well, the tournament is big enough for all of them. All three of the big countries can go through if we're assuming Hungary lose all their games. But um, are we assuming that Hungary have actually? I mean, I know they're kind of like the punchline in this group, but they are undefeated in their last ten, uh, which involves you know nation league games against Turkey and in Serbia and this sort of thing. Having said that, I think they'll lose all their games, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but they'll do it in front of a full stadium. Exactly which right. Which is going to be atmospheric as, as So world as well. champions versus uh, European champions. Who, who's going to win out of those two? Are they the two that are definitely going through by the way? Well, th- it's interesting, isn't it? Because I've heard a lot of people not really make that assumption yet. I mean, maybe uh, there's always a cliche about it's dangerous to underrate Germany maybe for Portugal and France it is but I think for the, the neutral observer not so much you know you're pretty down on the Germans aren't you I, I, I am I think the big issues I have with them are Yogi Love um, that's a biggie and the defence and those are, those, are, those are two huge things that are difficult to get past and you know you, th- you think that what Love did in the aftermath of uh, World Cup 2018 to save himself was basically throw Hummels, um, Boateng, and Muller under the bus. Um, to, <laughs> to, to just scra- to scrape just say, it back now. <laughs> exactly. To, to look to, under the bus, get like a, a big shovel and just get the bits back. And I mean, put it's them like, together. It's like it's like McLaren with Beckham to the power of three, yeah. or to the power of two, because he's only brought two of them back. But maybe that would have been different if Jerome Boateng would have been fit because he had a brilliant 1920 uh, season. I mean, it's it's quite a climb down. There's a lot of things that don't make sense about Germany. There's a lot of talent there. There's not a great deal of focus. I have serious concerns about them. And if you're going to make a case for them, it's going to be that Leon Goretzka's going to do something amazing. It looks like he's not fit for the first game. Um, Kai Havertz is going to do something amazing. Manuel Neuer is going to do something amazing. And to be fair, if you look at even if you look at the horrendous amount of goals that Bayern Munich conceded this season, he did have a really good season and it could have been a very different Bundesliga season if he hadn't been there. Um, I just feel that the quality of France and Portugal is, is too great for them. But what's so interesting is that the, the first game in this group being in Munich yeah. Um, well, the, the 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 first game in this group that is in Munich, I should say, between France and Germany, because it has that sense of a huge, you know, a, a genuine a cornerstone of European football. Oh right, okay. You, you know, yeah. um, I would not be awfully surprised if France win that with some comfort. I, I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but it it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, and I think if we go back to in the aftermath of the World Cup in Russia, it, it, there was the sense that Germany needs a new direction, you know, that they'd gotten lost in their own sort of sideways passes and that they need a new direction, a new focus. And 
you can say you're throwing several babies out with not that much bathwater by retiring those three guys. <laughs> but I thought it made a bit of sense to th- draw a line in the sand and say, listen, this has been a great team. We've achieved much, but we have to do something else now because this we've, we've gotten lost. And, and then there was this period where they played some games and they were trying to be more direct and more vertical, as we like to say, hit it earlier to the fast forward, which made some sense. Uh, but then they had some bad results and then you go back to playing in a bit more sort of possession-y way. And then earlier this year they're playing 4-3-3 and then you lose to Macedonia and then going into this tournament certainly the old guys are back and suddenly you're playing a new formation in the two friendlies and, and listen the way they played against Latvia I know it's against Latvia it doesn't really count but the way they played with the back four, with back three of Rudiger, Hummels and Ginter and Kimmich back on the wing back which I think is good not just because he's a great he's a great midfielder but you have no other good wing backs so you might as well put him there and Kroos and Gundogan in the middle Gosens on the left and then the three of Müller Nabri and Harvard that team I, I can see that team working but the thing about it, it really worries me that that's the team you stumble onto in the last friendly yeah. it's not like this has been the plan and this has been what they've been working towards and this is what this team is it's like they've sort of we didn't find a new direction we didn't find a new focus so we're just going to try to put the best players we can find into a blender and hopefully Yogi Love will figure something out on the night that feels like how they're going into it and and it could work like there's a ton of talent in this team but it I, I think it's a rational thing to look at that process and feel like Germany are not coming into this with a with a head of steam put it that way but what you seem to both be saying, um, if I'm right, is that Germany are going to come third in this uh, group. I can imagine that, yeah. I yeah. Think so, yeah. We haven't decided who's going to come first, but it does seem from what you said, Andy, it's going to be France. I, I think so, but it's not. there's not a huge gap between them and Portugal. There's a gap, but it's, it's not an absolute chasm. I, I, I think that's worth pointing out. I think with France you know what you're going to get already. A, in terms of the quality that they've got, because we we know that, that's self-evident, the fact that they could pick like 50 players, really, of, of, of the requisite quality. Mm. Um, the return of Benzema. Then, you, you've got the fact that we know that there's not just the talent, but they know how to actually win a tournament. They know how to play within themselves and grind out a tournament after a hard mm, season, mm, or mm. In, in the current case, after two hard seasons. And that's that Deschamps knows much how to. Into one. Yeah. Is it Deschamps yeah. specifically yeah. who knows how because, to grind out? I mean, we, we have this discussion in England a lot, don't we, about why doesn't Gareth Southgate let the, these, these, these players off the leash? They have that discussion in France all the time. Like, and, you know, they're, they're the world champions. <laughs> but there's still that discussion of well, when we've got this so many great players why don't, why don't we play more expressive football because that's not how you win major tournaments and you know Deschamps has, has grasped that and fortunately for him as well as having that ability he has players who will really dig in and not just Olivier Giroud you look at the amount of uh, running that Antoine Griezmann has you have Angolo Kante you have uh, Luca Hernandez you have so many players like that who are prepared to just grind it out I, I think that's that's super important and you know what I look at this field and I do think it's relatively open but the thing with France they've not just got the best squad they've got the most focused squad they've got the best idea of what they're actually doing and they don't actually have to play well to win this tournament. Mm. That, 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 I mean, that's that crucial. Scary. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. That is scary. I think, we, I think we forget that, listen, we, we all love like freewheeling attacking teams, but they tend not to win the international tournaments because it is a knockout competition. And 
I maintain to this day that there were some games where they scored some goals. Yeah, but, but France won the last cup, World Cup mainly through not messing up defensively. Like they messed Absolutely. up at the back less than anyone else. And they had some outstanding individuals who will eventually get you a goal going forward. That was the recipe, right? And I understand when you look at the lineup, then you're hoping, can we not like attack more? Because look at all the good attackers. But, you know, that way lies, you know, badness in international tournaments. I, if, if there's any, if we're looking at reasons why France might not win we do end up clutching at straws because they're so good on the paper but 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 i guess what i wonder is with this new formation they've been playing with the midfield diamond last couple of games and i guess that is uh, to to have that attacking trident of having griezmann playing off benzema and, and mbappe i i wonder about width a little bit i i, I wonder about because you're not you don't neither of the fullbacks are particularly attacking you know benjamin pavard and, and luca Hernandez both sort of if the old joke being that fullbacks are either uh, repurposed center halves or repurposed wingers, I mean, both of them are kind of closer to being center halves than they are to being wingers, I would argue. But they they can they can both come out and have have a little go. They, they can. I, I, I think I think that's important. And Pavar has really worked on that side of his game through playing so much right back and Luca Hernandez. Okay, he's not Teo. He's not his brother. But and, and I would actually almost, in that <laughs> formation, I would almost rather have his brother. Yeah, in that position, and I yeah. and, and again, I, I, I accept I'm clutching at straws, and given we have a lot to get through, maybe we should just move on. But if we're looking for any reasons to not be optimistic on the French, I worry if it gets a little bit narrow and a little bit stodgy with all those guys. But as you said, they don't. It can be narrow and stodgy. It's fine as long as they don't concede goals and they find one somewhere. And with that front three, they probably will. For me, the issue is no Matuidi. Such an all-purpose player who played this really weird position where he was, you know, part inside left, part left winger, part auxiliary left back. He's not really replaceable. I think the fact that they were going to replace him with Adrian Rabiot, who I just is a quality player, but just doesn't have the same um, discipline and energy and just versatility really is Matuidi. I, I think that's that's a big miss. But I think what's interesting in the warm-up matches is that they've played Corentin Tolisso mm-hmm. instead, which gives um, Angolo Kante the, the license to do all his running all over the shop that you referenced yeah, that, last week. That would be interesting to see Kante more as the sort of shuttler than the holder in the diamond mm. uh, just because of his mobility, yeah. Um Moving on, I think looking at Portugal, obviously the squad is terrifying uh, with all with all the quality that's in that team, and, and you, it's almost no weaknesses there. But they have pretty much the same discussions about like, can we not attack some more? And Fernando Santos is, you know, he is who he is. But, but they have to play their very best to win the tournament, though. Unlike France, don't they? Maybe um, I think that wasn't the case in 2016. But I think that's the weird thing. The squad is so different from 2016 and you do get the impression that 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 team could veer into the top heavy, especially if they're playing 4-3-3. I think that's a bit of an issue. Whether, I mean, they're lucky, I guess, with Diogo Jota, who will probably start. They've got the option to morph between 4-4-2 and, and, and 4-3-3, um, particularly if they bring Andre Silva in. But I just think the big issue for them is that you know what you were talking about with the fullbacks, Lars? They've got the 
opposite problem, really. Mm. If you call it a problem, yeah. in that Joao Cancelo and uh, Rafa Guerrero are, are both two amazing <laughs> footballers. wing backs, right? Not even. I think no. they're just they <laughs> go they go where they like. Yeah, you know, really, really, Guerrero's better when he's a central midfield player. And it's the old combination <laughs> of very attack-minded fullbacks and old slash slightly slow central defenders, which always worries me a little bit. And uh, I guess we'll get to that when we talk about Italy. Well, the, the, yeah. Well, the, 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 the big issue for them is that they haven't got an informed holding mid- midfield player. Mm. Uh, William Cavalio's not had a good season. Um, Danilo's oscillated between centre-half and uh, and defensive midfielder at Paris Saint-Germain. It's been a weird old season for him there. So quite how they're going to play that, especially if you've got off-the-leash players like Bruno Fernandes and um, Bernardo Silva in, in, in front. Mm. I, I, I think balance is a, is, is a possible issue. Look, on paper... Terrific, and we saw them uh, this week with a half and half, not even a full team against Israel. Absolutely marmalised them, and the quality of them going forward was fantastic. And obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo probably should have had a rest, played anyway, so he could get closer to Ali Day's record, and did knock another one off. So he's on 104 goals now. That could be one of the big things that happens in this tournament, couldn't it? Cristiano Ronaldo getting the the world record uh, international mark. Yeah, but although they want to win it, Portugal want to win it. And by the way, just point of order, uh, don't worry about clutching at straws, Lars, because this is the first of our podcast, uh, Euro podcast. At this stage, I think we're all allowed to clutch at straws <laughs> um, to make no, this it exciting. Is but ar- next week arguably, will be different. Arguably one of the best phases of the tournament where we've all made our predictions and exactly. so far they're all correct. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The brutal reality of football hasn't made us look stupid yet, which it will in the next couple of weeks. We can all sit and have plans out. I love this. It's great. Um, Should we move on to the next? Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, we, unless you've got only very on briefly, I'd like to ask Andy, what do you think the chances of Andrea Silva getting any game time just on the basis of this incredible season he's had for Frankfurt and I know Cristiano Ronaldo is basically a striker now but if you give him he does like having someone to play off yeah. so if you give him a number nine and he can sort of drift around in that sort of left channel area where he likes to hang out and then you have the Guerrero coming on the overlap there that that seems like a good balance on the left side to me yeah, if Guerrero's rented an extra couple of lungs it could mm. be a goer couldn't what? it <laughs> but I, I think no no it's, it's a really good point and the, the fact that Andre Silva takes care of the physical side of the game so well now since he's been in Germany, I, I think that's something that lends him to to being that sort of foil for Ronaldo. But if we go right back to the start when he was still at Porto, Ronaldo always loved him straight away. He always found him really good to play off. Um, he looks for the pass as, as, as well. But, uh, you know, form is convincing. Mm. And scoring 28 goals for anyone in the Bundesliga is amazing. Scoring 28 goals for Eintracht Frankfurt, Frankfurt yeah. is incredible he must I, feel I think with, he deserves a go Andre Silva must look at like all the hype around Hall and great as he is and like hang on I scored one more goal than him <laughs> where, where are my Instagram followers <laughs> but it's safe to say that uh, before uh, the Portuguese team was still very much built around Ronaldo it won't be this time around it can't be can it well, they've gradually, very, very gradually moved on from from there. I mean, in 2016, already there was an understanding that he had to be fed rather than, mm. you know, play the, play the ISO, play the hero ball, be Kobe Bryant. I, I think now the conversation has actually moved past that in Portugal where you don't have to say... He's the greatest. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. He's the, he's the best player in the world. You don't have to say it every five seconds because there is a, an understanding that, yeah, he is 
the greatest Portuguese player of all time. But there are loads of other great players in the team and loads of other players that can go and win them a game. And also, like I, I've dissed him a lot on this podcast this uh, this season, and and question whether he's providing value for money for Juventus and whether he can play in the modern pressing system and all this. But listen, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a team that's mm. going to be solid at the back or hope to be solid at the back, play kind of conservatively under Santos. And then the question is, the question isn't whether Ronaldo can harass and harry players all day. No one's going to ask him to do that. The question is, when a chance presents itself, which it doesn't do very often in an international tournament, will he stick that one chance away? And there are still very few people on the planet you'd rather back in those situations than him. Oh, Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. So Lars, you mentioned Juventus a moment or two ago. Uh, so it's a good time to, and I know I'm mixing up my Eurovisions here, but it's a good time to say Eviva Italia or possibly Espana or possibly Belgica. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but I really enjoy the fact that on a Euro special, you've probably managed to really annoy fans of both Milan clubs and both Rome clubs. Yeah, good. Hats good. off. Hats off to you. This is the Euro, so it's not about the clubs anymore. <laughs> it's about the nations. Let's look at this. These are the other big sharks in the lake, as mm, it were. I like that. Italy. Fish. Spain. Belgium, with their glorious generation that's been talked about since time immemorial, and the Netherlands. You can never write them off, even though they don't seem to ever win anything nowadays. But where would you go? Because, again, this tournament's too big for all all four of them, isn't it, to win? Yeah, out of the four of them, I guess I'm probably the most excited about watching Italy. Uh, just because they're kind of a new fun Italy under Roberto Mancini. They they play, and I know we have said that before about Italy, that they're more fun than before. It isn't a completely <laughs> original idea. 
But it's they have played a sort of pretty forward-thinking 4-3-3 formation under Mancini. They've got a good number of goals. He's calling up sort of... If you look at their midfield, they're, they're good technical players rather than sort of roving warmongers that we've had in midfield for Italy before. And yeah, Verratti might be injured, but like Locatelli can come in. He's also a very tidy player. So this is a team that will try to play football much more so than it'll look to stop the opponent. And that hasn't always been the case with Italy. Uh, and also, intriguingly, I feel like if they have weaknesses they are weaknesses that are kind of traditional strengths of Italy's. If you look at the defence, we touched upon it with Portugal, I wonder a little bit, like it'll be Bonucci and Chiellini most likely, who are still good players, but they have two pretty attacking fullbacks, particularly on the left, Spinazzola gets forward a lot. He's fun. And yeah. he, and I, But I always worry, like, centre-halves can go on and be very good for a long time, but as they get older and they lose a bit of pace, what they really don't like is being isolated one-on-one. And if your fullback has run away, that is kind of what happens on the break <laughs> a lot. Uh, so, 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 yeah, attacking fullbacks, slow centre-halves is always something that worries me a little bit. Uh, but crucially, the big discussion with Italy is probably going to be up front. Uh, where they don't, again, the sort of tr- number nine character, such a traditional strength of the Italian national team. Ciro Immobile, great as he has been for Lazio, never truly convinces for Italy. And and I guess same with Bellotti, who, God bless him, runs a lot, but maybe lacks a bit of that sort of finesse that you look for at international level. So a lot of good ball players in this team but maybe not the kind of edge in front of each goal that we're used to seeing from Italy I think that's the question really whether uh, Immobile and Lorenzo Insigne step up from being two of the best players in Serie A to being two of the best players in this tournament if they can do that I mean, and the quality's there, mm. but if they can do that, then Italy are in business. Because as you say, Lars, I think the back half of the team takes care of itself. Goalkeeper, defence, the midfield's unreal. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the best midfields in the tournament, even if Verratti probably will miss that first game, as, as, as you say. But, you know, you look at Donnarumma, 22-year-old goalkeeper who's played mm. 250 games for Mil- Milan. Unusual. <laughs> it's It's remarkable. And so they have that mix of experience and excitement. And I think even the older players, like some of the other older players, like Insigne and Immobile, as you say, they're relatively young in international terms. And, you know, they, they've been kind of reborn under Roberto Mancini as well, which is important. A guy who, and I made this point elsewhere, is not one of those big managers who's marking time doing this job until the next big club mm-hmm. job comes up. He would have given anything to, to to be the Italy coach. He's been that and he has made the most of every moment. He's brought so much to it. Remember, they, they didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So he started from a pretty low point. And since 2018, well, since 10th of September 2018, they've not lost a game. Mm. It's, it's remarkable. I had to discuss on radio the other day how... Um, the last time Italy lost a game, I was 41 years old. I'm now 44. <laughs> <laughs> but, but listen, Brutal, right? <laughs> but the caveat, and far be it from me to be the sort of wet blanket of the pod, the caveat is they haven't really played anyone good in that, in that period. They haven't played a lot of strong opponents. Hmm. And with this new sort of more positive freewheeling Italy team, that's fine if what you're doing is sort of thwacking Kazakhstan in a the qualifier, then yeah, fair enough. Hmm. But it will be slightly different here. And 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 again, yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, of course, you expect them to win the group. You expect them to have a good tournament. But uh, that, that is one of those things. Will this sort of much more positive front foot Italy work when you come up against stronger teams? I mean, we're going to find out in the first game. We'll come to Turkey later. Yeah, yeah. But that is, that is a game what a f- test. fraught with danger. I agree. 
if we talk about Spain, what a weird start to the <laughs> tournament they've had. It's the tradition now, isn't it? You have to have some sort of madness in the Spanish camp. But they're the new Dutch. Is yeah, that yeah, what we're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although uh, I, I have the to Dutch say, the Dutch are also the new Dutch. I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> sa- sacking sacking a coach on the eve of a tournament—it's hard is, to beat. Is, is is hard to beat? I mean, what they have got is they've got a very prepared situation because just to reiterate, um, Sergio Busquets last Sunday night, it was announced to had COVID and was being removed from the squad for the moment. This is an issue, A, because of missing Busquets himself. He was the captain after Sergio Ramos didn't make it. Most experienced player, the guy who sits in front of the defence and maps out the game for them. They're, they're kind of, I guess, steering wheel on the pitch, I guess is the way the Brazilians would describe it. And... That's before you get to all the the, the training knock-ons. The fact that um, all their team have had to do individual training um, because of contract tracing from there. Uh, Diego Llorente is, is is another one who's who's gone down with, with with COVID. Now, up until 24 hours before the first game against Sweden, they can replace these players. So th- that's that's something that's possible. Of course, you already would have had replacements in the squad had Luis Enrique actually picked 26 instead of 24. Uh, they were the only team to choose to do that. But, you know, having individual training where the, tra- the players have to do that in the run-up to the first game, it's like as far from ideal no as, you, as you, you could possibly... <laughs> exactly. And then... <laughs> Sorry, that was you have I the, didn't mean that. You have the twist... Very Kanye West. Then you have the twist that because they can't fulfil the fixture of the last friendly fixture with Lithuania on Tuesday, they put um, out the under 21 team instead, who are amazing and absolutely belt Lithuania. And so now they've got this parallel squad of 17 players who are ready to step in and replace any who fall out with COVID. So after Luis Enrique said, yeah, we don't want to choose 26. We want to choose 24. We want to keep it all nice and tight and, you know, just make sure everyone's involved. He's got the most dispersed training he could possibly imagine. And you get the impression that the the, the Spanish were a little bit on edge anyway, because Luis Enrique is quite a confrontational character. Clearly there's the non-picking of Sergio Ramos, which I think is, you know, I think think anyone reasonable thinks it's justified because of injury. Exactly. Um, But it does leave an experienced vacuum. There's a question over whether he does know his best 11 anyway. Then you've got the friendly against Portugal, the last friendly that the first team play against Portugal last Friday, where you have this bizarre situation with Alvaro Morata where he's going to play a friendly at the Wanda Metropolitano, um, the home of Atletico Madrid, who he still, strictly speaking, belongs to. He's booed throughout the game. Mm. Um, Atletico fans chant about how rubbish he is. Um, he misses a few chances. And um, then he hits a crossbar in the, in, in the final minute. I still think he could be an interesting player for them. But then you've got that tension. You've got the tension where this journalist about a week ago, says to uh, Amrit Laporte, so um, how Spanish can you actually be there? Are you really <laughs> Spanish enough to play for this team? And so, so he's got to deal with that. And then yesterday, you have Jordi Alba just unloading everything. So he, he starts out saying, well, you know what, when we sold Suarez to Atletico, I thought it was a joke. I, 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 th- I thought someone must be joking that, that we gave him to a title rival but you know he shut a lot of mouths and he did great and you, you're like whoa whoa everyone's really on the edge that's so much about Spain feels combustible so you would say Andy that uh, Spain's preparation 
has been a bit like the sweet aisle of a corner shop that hasn't been restocked in a while. <laughs> it's, it's no bueno. <laughs> They've run out. <laughs> it's a very common problem. So, good jokes. Um, the issue, though, is that they're under pressure, aren't they? That's the real issue, though, Lars. <laughs> good good jokes is very charitable, well, but I'll yeah, take it. No, no, no. Everybody enjoyed <laughs> that. Oh, listen, everybody enjoyed yeah. that. But... Um, they're under pressure. They're, they're under pressure. This is why the whole thing does seem a bit disjointed. You know, they don't know their best team. That's that's shocking, actually, for Spain. And given the number of issues, apart from COVID, that they're having to deal with, to throw that in as well, yeah. they're a mess. So, yeah, so it's difficult to talk about it seriously, not just because of the ramifications of that joke, but also just because, again, <laughs> all of this stuff has thrown the preparations into the air. Like, if things were normal, if they'd been training normal, no COVID, everything going on, I would be sort of, yeah, but also, you know, he's brought in some younger players, like Ferran Torres is coming in, Dani Olmo is coming in, like Pedri's had a great season, maybe this can be, if not a tournament that Spain goes all the way in, but maybe a starting point for a new sort of generation, the sort of the tournament where you kind of say goodbye to the sort of tiki-taka gods of yore and sort of say, okay, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing. And Luis Enrique has, there have been occasions when you see that he's added a little bit more because they again, sorry, I'm interrupting myself, they again sort of became like a parody of themselves. If you look at the game they went out of the, the World Cup in, I think Against they, Russia, yeah. they completed over a thousand passes. All right, they had extra time in which to do it, but like in that game, they completed more passes than Russia had in their four games before that, like or up to that. So it was a nonsense. Like it, it became. Do you know when they were conquering the world? Like there were some critics who were saying, "Oh, it's so boring. It's all sideways passes." It wasn't all sideways passes. But watching that game, I saw the Spain team that the sort of haters saw a few years earlier when they were winning. Like it was nonsense. And and it's clear that Luis Enrique has been brought in with the remit to give them more focus, make them a little bit more direct. You know, you got to harness the extraordinary technical qualities that you have in the team. And of course, they're going to keep the ball. Like you're not going to play. You know, this Tony Pulis 50 50 football with Spain, that wouldn't make sense because of the players they have, but make them a little bit more direct. And they have the players to maybe do that. And maybe this can be the start of something at least. So we've talked about the the fake Dutch. What about the real well, Dutch? Yeah, let's do the double Dutch, as it were. How much the time do we ones? have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've tried to cast Frank de Boer in my mind as a, a Ram and Dominic, uh, a, yeah. a mocked and diminished coach who perhaps could uh, take his team a little bit deeper than many think possible. I I don't think they've got the hardest group. And I think on top of that, clearly there's there's no Van Dyke, which is an issue. But there's still a lot of quality in there. Memphis is absolutely flying at the moment, which I think is really important. And he's sort of, we saw in the friendly against Georgia, the, the, the beginnings of this little partnership between him and famed anti-vaxxer Val Veghorst. Um, maybe maybe that could work. I don't know. I personally think Memphis could play up front on his own. I, I don't necessarily think that's an issue, but they've, they've, they've got options. Yeah, it's like the, it's the easiest thing in the world to make fun of Frank de Boer's uh, misadventures the last couple of years. I thought you were going to say anti-vaxxer. Well, yeah. I, I don't think he's an anti-vaxxer, is he? No, no, no. We were talking about Veghorst. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, does that tar Frank de Boer with, that, <laughs> with, with, the, with the Veghorst crush? I, 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 was hearing, um, I was hearing his lawyers shouting yeah, yeah. in my ear. No, Andy. Sure you want to go there. Good God. No, but no, it's the, it's the easiest 
easiest thing in the world to look at Frank Tibor's career post Ajax and just make fun of him and say, oh, this terrible man who doesn't last anywhere and was dreadful in MLS and this sort of thing. There's a lot of bad choices in there. Yeah, uh, but, on anything, but I just think going into the tournament now, it's more interesting to try to look at, okay, but what could be good here than to just make the same old jokes about how bad he's been and, and, and to see what is good about this team, what could work. And, and I think this thing, he's been annoying a lot of people in Holland by playing a 5-3-2 sort of formation. But I can see the logic betw- behind that. Because if you look at the squad, what they don't really have is great wingers. Like you, you associate the Dutch with great wing play. But if we accept now that Memphis is more of a forward uh, than a winger, which I think if you ask him, he'd say that's what he is. Uh, they don't really, there's no wide players there, but you look, this guy has to be in the team. So, okay, we can live without the wingers. That's not our strength. Maybe think about playing wingbacks because it allows you to to play about Veghost and have a proper number nine next to Memphis up front for him to play off. You still have that trio in the middle of Frankie de Jong, Wijnaldum and probably Deron covering for them, which will give them license to go forward. And you, you have a back three. You have have an extra center half, which in the absence of Van Dijk is maybe not the worst idea in the world. So there is a logic behind this formation, whether the Dutch like it or not. And I don't know, there, there are the ingredients there for a good team. I completely understand and anyone who looks at Frank Tibor as a coach and has very little faith in his ability to find that team and get the best out of it. But... I, I'm also think it's, it's mean and unnecessary to, to sort of write him off and write them off entirely. Let's talk about the uh, the Belgium team. And every every tournament, you expect this Belgium, this generation of Belgian players to do something amazing. Not only do they have, you know, one of the greatest footballers in the world in uh, De Bruyne, but also, you know, on his day, once upon a time, Eden Hazard. Not to talk about the great season Lukaku's had in mm. Italy and so on. Where can they go wrong? But they always seem to go wrong. Is it well, with you, their aging defence? Well, you would. It's a good question. Question. And you, you were talking about, you know, we seem to say every tournament, is it going to be for this generation? I've got good news for you. No one will be saying this after this tournament <laughs> because this, this generation is coming to its end. It's got to be now or never. I, I think that's the thing for them. I would expect them to win the group. I would expect them to go further. Almost with Belgium, because they've shown what they can do in the back end of competitions before. And whether we're talking about the failure against Wales in the quarterfinals in Euro 2016, or whether we're talking about them falling really quite agonisingly short against that France defence in in 2018 in Russia. We just need to know that little bit more. Almost, they can be brilliant in the groups and it's not really going to tell us anything. I, I think that's the issue. The defence I do have a concern about because they are so old. And I think you look at the wing-backs as well, Carrasco's had a brilliant season for Atletico. I think Lars and Roberto Martinez worked on that plan yeah, yeah, yeah. extensively over over several coffees. Got him on, at a, got him on speed dial. A, a Jason Derulo <laughs> concert. But, but on the other side, Thomas Mounier has had a really quite dreadful season with Dortmund and they're still reliant on him to do something. Then you have the questions over De Bruyne and Azar. And I think one of the big triumphs that of Roberto Martinez is... Um, reign that he's not really got credit for is the fact that he's managed to let two players who should be ringmasters coexist in the same team mm-hmm. and get the best out of them. That That is not easy and he's done really well. De Bruyne, of course, he's going to come back and he's going to be great. I think there's so much pressure on him and Lukaku though, who has had a 
an amazing season, an absolutely amazing season. He's a player who was already a great player who's been transformed and has, has gone up several levels. I think he would be a good shout to be top scorer for this tournament and I think he could really fill his boots I, in this group. I think you've got a point there. He looks as if he's really enjoying it Oh, as this well. is his time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked about Donnarumma before. I mean, just to underline about Lukaku and again, an early starter, 60 international goals. He's only 28, which is um, amazing. The, the question for me is Azar because he is a player who could take them up a level further. The, the, the issue there is what are we going to get out of him? Do, do you get a good 90 minutes out of him? Do you get a good 70? Do you get a good 30 or 20? We just don't know because he's been so inhibited. I mean, I would almost be tempted to just like not play him much right? and, and, and get you let Carrasco and Dries Mertens use the take those wide positions when De Bruyne's not and actually use De Bruyne in one of those attacking positions with Carrasco or Dries Mertens on the other one. And then I guess you can give him like half an hour against Finland or something, but I just based on what he's done for his club side, we don't have the benefit of watching him in training. Maybe he's looking very sharp and, and, and hungry and not in that way uh, in, in training going into the tournament. That That is possible. But I just think based on what he's done for his club side on the last year and based on all the injuries he's had, I know he has been a huge player for them. That's not the area of the pitch where they're in trouble. Like there are other really good options who have had much better seasons. Yeah, speaking of their um, old man defence, though, I probably should say in defence of Jan Vertonghen, played uh, more minutes than anyone else with Benfica this season. Yeah, I heard that. I actually heard that stat because he you should have the summer old, off, really. Well, no, he's an old Tottenham boy. You know, he knows how to put a shift in. And he's and good. He's had a great career, but like the guy's not very fast anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe they don't need the speed. What you said about Hazard, though, mm. and, and I take it that you have got Roberto Martinez on your speed job. But it, <laughs> that is it, a joke, it, by the it, way. It would take a brave, I really don't. It would take a brave coach to leave out what is essentially like De Bruyne a, a national hero in football maybe but I also think you can just say the guy hasn't been fit all year like I have other good options I think that's a, that's a completely res- respectable position to take but I completely also understand why you would want to give him every chance to rediscover some kind of form but it's a long time since we've seen Eden Hazard be Eden Hazard now Th- that's just the reality of it mm. Of course, when we talk about tournaments, there's always some dark horses to talk about, potential surprises looking ahead, and I can't resist. Um, The Turkish delight I'm talking about. And given that they have such a strong league, I can't understand why Turkey is not always up there as a serious contender when it comes to tournaments. You know, you took me back there. I was thinking of one of the first times I did a game from the commentary booth at the old White Hart Lane. You used to have to go round the back of the stand opposite the main stand. And there was this metal spiral staircase that was covered in bird shit that went all the way to the top and once you'd made your way to the top you were so isolated you were so high up but at half time a a, a little old man came up 
with a bottle of R White's lemonade and some genuine <laughs> Turkish delight and gave it to us. It was it was magnificent. R White's. R White's. <laughs> Other lemonades That's are available, apparently. Tighten them for you. Uh, through and through. But look, I think there's a huge amount of excitement in Turkey at the moment because they feel that they've got their best squad for a generation, maybe more. Um, of course, a lot of Premier League watchers will look at the defence. Soyuncu, um, Ozan Kabak, who probably won't start, Mary Demiral of Juventus will start in, in, instead of him. Um, you've got Zeki Celik, um, the, the Lille right back, who's been brilliant all season. I'd be not surprised at all if someone big picked him up. Um, Burak Yilmaz, uh, an, another one of the Lille players. You have this Turkish triumvirate with him and Yusuf Yuzuju, um in midfield. Um, and Burak has been amazing this year. And it's not just the goals. It's not just that he's scored the goals that's taken Lille to the championship. His all-round game is better than before. You know, people who have followed him in Turkey for years like think he's an unrecognisable player. Mm. And, you know, he's a better player at 35 than he was at... 28, 29, which is, is is remarkable. And he had that little break in January, February when he was injured. And I think that little breather gives him more of a chance of being really effective in these Euros. He's faster than you think at that age. I think he poses a real danger to, to Italy. And you were talking about speed and how that might be an issue for yeah. them, especially without a, without a covering fullback. I think that'd be an interesting theory to test against uh, Italy last. Also, you look at those big guys in, in defence and how they could contribute for, from set pieces. The delivery from Hakan Chalanolu mm. and Yazuju mm. is is something else. So you've, you've got a lot going for Turkey and, of course, a coach in Senor Gunes who took them to a World Cup semi-final in 2002 in his first spell. I guess with Turkey, a lot of good players on paper, and and some good results in 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 reality as well. Yeah. Obviously, tonking Holland at home, and and beating Norway. By the way, the much heralded Norwegian team, in which they were so much better than us. I mean, yeah, we were, we, we, we were lucky to get out of that with a three 0 defeat. That could have mm. been really ugly. Um, proper men against boys stuff in midfield in particular. But then they draw three three with Latvia. Mm. Which I, there's no excuse for under any circumstance. So I don't, I don't understand why these things happen, Andy. And you know this team better than me, but they just seem to have occasional days when it all just goes wrong for completely inexplicable reasons. Yeah, and you know we can talk about um, public expectation. They're one of the countries that are most fed by that. You know, that there is huge reaction and overreaction to everything the national team does. So maybe that's an issue. I do think it's interesting that they're not at home to prepare. Mm. I, th- I think maybe that yeah. makes a difference. They're, they're, in, they're in Azerbaijan preparing. And like most of these teams, of course, are at home with what the exceptions of Wales, Portugal and a, a couple of others. Yeah, it is interesting that point because when you look at Turkey, like you, you've touched on it, Dalton, it's 80 million people and incredible passion for football. I mean, you could argue that historically this team, this country has underperformed a lot, not just internationally, but even on the club stage. There should be a more, you know, uh, dominating sort of footballing culture in, in, in the world. Well, but, but, think- but that, I mean... There's so much passion there. Just ask Alexander Solos and his Instagram account. He had to stop people spamming him to it, come no, back to Trabzon. Didn't yeah, he? He, Alexander Solos, uh, of formerly of Trabzonspor and now misfiring a little bit at RB Leipzig. 
posted a completely sort of banal photo of him jogging in a Norway a training kit uh, on a Norway training sort of like yeah internationals baby and and and, and he got three million comments <laughs> which is not normal I, I don't know how up you are on social media three million comments is big for solos there's uh, definitely more comments than he usually gets and they were all Trabzonspor fans so he had to tweet please like I, I appreciate this but leave me alone he also had to change his phone number because they got a hold of that as well so his, his WhatsApp went mad really wow yeah but, so, but the point being I guess maybe that sort of pressure like you say can be an issue as well yeah draw against Latvia lost home and away to Hungary last year in the Nations League like stuff like this is just yeah. weird when you look at the quality in the team so fingers crossed we I guess that's the thing like whether you reach the semi-final or not like it depends on the luck of the draw it depends on who you come across what you really want to see from a squad like this is that they go into the tournament and play as well as we think they can do and then the chips will fall where they will yeah I think that's sorry I was just going to say I, I think that's the interesting thing with the development of Turkish football when you think that the first major tournament is Euro 96 then they get to the World Cup semi-final in 2002 there's, there's no gap between that at all mm. and then when you fail to hit those unreasonable heights afterwards there's overreaction mm. uh, and you know you add that to quite a combustible football culture anyway that's that's difficult I mean, talking of rebuilding, though, the, the Czech Republic, I think, are an interesting dark horse because you, you, we talked about the, the, the early part of the 21st century. They should have won Euro 2004. Mm. You know, let's get that straight. They were mm. amazing. I'm not suggesting this is quite the same vintage as then. And in fact, nowhere near. But if you look at the spine from Slavia Prague and you can kind of include Socek and, and Sufal who've done so well at West Ham, to that because they they came from there as well. Then you throw in Yankto, Patrick Schick, players who are you know we talked about Ger- um, Belgium being a bit older than you think. I mean those two guys are twenty five now. Mm. They're not young players who deserve to be mollycoddled and earmarked as stars for the future. Now they have to start producing something now. I mean, do you think they could do anything in that group? I don't know. I find them hard to analyze because they've got quite a lot of players who play in the domestic league still. And I'm I'm very big. I keep repeating this in my other sort of pre Euro work. You should never write anyone off just because they don't play in a big league. We've got so many examples of that being stupid, but it does mean it's harder for us to sit and assess them because we don't watch them a lot and uh, we only see them now and again in Europe and of course Slavia Prague have had some really good European adventures famously this season knocking out Leicester and uh, knocking out Rangers but also 2019 and uh, knocking out Sevilla that time mm. so, so it's happened twice now with Slavia Prague clearly that's not a fluke clearly there's good players there and, and I, I guess I can say I'm looking forward to seeing the team because that's a hard that's, I find them harder to get a read on I am also you push for time, but I'm going to press on. I am excited about Denmark. I think Denmark have could do well in this tournament because we've talked about it earlier and we're coming full circle here. What usually serves you well in a tournament is being solid, uh, not messing up at the back, having a solid base, and then you get the goals, whether it's from set pieces or penalties or wherever you can find the goals. If you look at this Danish team, you've got Kasper Schmeichel in goal. Simon Schär has had his best season of his career, I would argue, at Milan. Andreas Christensen is back in the, in the action of Chelsea, so he's coming in nice and match fit. In the midfield, Thomas Delaney of Dortmund and Pierre-Emile Oiberg from Tottenham. Really beefy sort of central midfield who sort of run around and kick people all day. And then you've got Christian Eriksen, who's been back in the frame at Inter, which means A, he'll be in 
decent nick, but also he's kind of had a break by, by just being out of the team for a while. So he's, he's played really well as as well. So physically, he should be in a much better place than quite a lot of other players at this tournament, I think. And they're playing at home. Yes, they, 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 they've got group games at home. So I, I just think the concern is up front. I mean, Yusuf Poulsen and Martin Braithwaite will start, I'm sure. Those are good players, but maybe not sort of notorious thoroughbred goal munchers. Uh, but and, and then who the third is... I genuinely don't know. Spoken to someone in the Danish media, they don't really know. It might be Jonas Vind from FC Co. Uh, it might be Kasper Dolberg, who's not had a good year. Um, so we're not where the goals are coming from. I'm not quite certain, but there really is a really solid, solid core there in that team. And I think if they get, you know, if they get some breaks and the draw is kind to them going forward, I, I think they could do well. You guys nearly got through all of this mammoth Europod with without going full Scandi enthusiasm on me. I'm impressed. Well, well, you, because there's it, no time for me to just go <laughs> talk about Finland, which I could do for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and God I'm, bless them. I, I, They're in the tournament. I am excited. And I've been saying Lash all the podcasts, so you didn't think that was yeah, going to Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. So finally, with this feast of football ahead of us um, with the Euros, we ask both of you to recommend a game of the week. Uh, you've got too much choice, actually. Your cup runneth over. Really does. I mean, Scandi bias time. Obviously, Denmark-Finland is the highlight of uh, of my weekend. But, I mean, I can't in all seriousness say that it's the game that has the most sort of repercussions for the tournaments. That is a hard case to make. I'm I'm really interested. I mean, I might be stealing Andy's pick now. But, but Turkey-Italy, just because Turkey... It's kind of everyone's dark horse because you look at the team sheet and we've talked all about it. I won't spend more time on it, but it's so much exciting stuff there. And this Italy team who are fun Italy, but again, they haven't played a lot of strong teams under Mancini. And and, and does it work when they come up against the sort of solid uh, block of Turkish delight there? We don't really know yet. So I'm really interested in how that game pans out. And I think it might tell us something about both teams. Andy? Obviously, I should go for France-Germany. Um, on Tuesday, but you're going to be watching Can we pick a anyway. game from Tuesday? That's not game. It's the game of the weekend, isn't it? Oh, Come weekend. on, Andy. The, the thing is, there you, are so... going rogue. There are, there are so many games. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to know what the rules are anymore. <laughs> so that's why I didn't go for that one. I'm, a... I'm going to go for, uh, anyway, for, for Netherlands versus Ukraine on Sunday night yeah, at 8 better. o'clock. If you still feel like watching football and England fans depending on what happened against Croatia earlier I think it will be really interesting um, because the Netherlands need to get off to a good start I'm quietly optimistic that they will win the group however Ukraine are not to be um, they're, they're to be reckoned with I, I think is, is is the way to put it um, Shevchenko has done a really great job there as as coach they beat um, they got four points off Portugal in the group finished above them beat them in Kiev with 10 men. Um, they've got a lot of interesting players. Of course, you'll know all the regulars, but I would say as as well, you have to look at uh, Ruslan Malinovsky in midfield. He's been great for Atalanta in recent months. Uh, Roman Yaremchuk, who's been scoring a lot of goals in Belgium. I, I, th- I think we'll have a very good tournament, probably get bought, bought by someone um, in a more storied league. I think this is quite a difficult game to call and it'll be very exciting. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Hold up. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.